0: Well, good morning. good morning. Glad to see y'all here this morning. Did y'all have a good Christmas. Good, like three of you did. Good. Yeah, no, we did. Uh, we had a great Christmas. We had on Christmas Day 17, I think, 17 in our house, and so we had a full house. And and uh, I'm tired. So some of you look tired too. So busy, busy time. But well, it's hard to believe that we're entering into a new year. This is the last Sunday of 2019. And uh, not only are we uh, closing out a year, but we're closing out a decade. Can you believe that? You know, 2020. Wow, that doesn't even sound right. Uh, I remember as a kid, whenever we thought about the year 2020, it invoked images of things like, you know, flying cars and humanoid robots and automated houses and all those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, kind of like Jetsons, the Jetsons. Some of you are too young to remember the Jetsons, aren't you? But uh, anyway, here we are, and the reality is most of those things aren't really so far-fetched as we enter into 2020. I mean, uh, we now, uh, through our phones, have automated houses, right? We can turn our lights on and off from our phones and, and uh, adjust the temperature and uh, see through video cameras, you know, security cameras and stuff like that, and, and uh, for only about eighty grand. You can have not a flying car, but uh, you can have an automated car where it drives itself. And uh, I actually read this last week that um, they're working on, and they have a prototype of a flying car that I think it goes about four feet off the ground, and the wheels go horizontal, and it goes about hundred miles an hour. And so that's not too far down the road. Hopefully, we're not. We're a long, hopefully we're a long ways away from the humanoid uh, robots. You know, hopefully, hopefully we're away from that. But there's some crazy stuff out there. Um, And and I'm sure, you know, whenever you thought of 2020, you had your own vision of what it would be like. And uh, whatever vision you held, here we are. We're getting ready to enter into the, the decade of the 20s. And so I thought that it would only be fitting, this is the last Sunday before we enter into a new year and a new decade, just to talk to you a little bit about vision. In fact, This is like the pre-sermon to a new series. We're starting a new series next week, and this is like the pre-sermon to it, Uh, but we're going to call it 2020 Vision, playing off the idea of of, uh, it being the year 2020. But I want to talk to you about vision. We're going to be talking about, uh, starting next week, the vision that we have moving into the new decade corporately. It's important to have a vision as a church. But it's also important to have a vision personally. We need a personal vision. You know, what is it that God wants for me personally? We need to know that collectively. What is it that God wants for us as the people of God? But we also need to know, what is it that he wants me to do personally? What is it that he wants for me? And so, uh, you know, I think the, the, the natural first question that comes after we enter into a relationship with Christ is the question, now what? You know, I've given my life to Christ, but, but now what? What am I supposed to do now? And I'm convinced that all of us, what we really want more than anything is we want to make a difference in the world. What we really want is we want to know that our lives counted for something. When we get to the end of our lives, we wanted to know that our lives counted for something. In fact, I think that's something that has been deposited into us from creation. We all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And and when we get, again, to the end of our lives, we want to know that our lives mattered, that we made a difference in the world. We We all want to make a difference. And so the question is, how? How do we do that? What does that look like? How am I supposed to know what I'm supposed to do to make a difference? Well, what I want you to know this morning is that God wants that for you. He wants that for each and every one of us here this morning. He wants our lives to count. He wants us to be involved in things that bless the world and transform the world and make the world a better place. And here's the good news. As much as it may feel like it sometimes, God is not trying to hide from you what you were created to do. You, you, You actually have a speaking God who is actually trying to speak to you. He is constantly trying to speak to us so that we know what he, it is that he wants us to do. Now, I know that there are some people who say, you know, I, I, I don't know about this whole idea of a speaking God. I think that was kind of for Bible times, and I don't know if God still speaks. I mean, I've never heard him speak before. Well, well let me assure you this morning that God doesn't have a speaking problem, That God still speaks. Most of the time, in fact, when we don't hear from God, it's not because God has a speaking problem. Most of the time, it's because we have a hearing problem, right? God doesn't have a speaking problem, but sometimes we do have a hearing problem. And here's the truth. If we really want to hear what God has to say, the secret revolves around simply creating time and space to listen. Our problem is most of us, we're so busy and we have so many other voices that are competing for our attention that we don't create the time and space to listen. This is so important because if we want to have a vision, we're going to be talking about personal vision this morning. If we want to have a vision, whether it's, it's collectively or personal, if we want to capture the vision that God has for us, then it's so important that we learn how to listen So we can hear him when he speaks because he doesn't want to withhold from us He really does want us to hear his voice and capture the vision that he has for us And so here's what I want to do this morning is I want to give you A little clue into one of the ways that God speaks to us now. There's there's lots of ways that God speaks But I want to talk about one primary way that God speaks and that is through the language of dreams and visions Dreams and visions. God's language is dreams and visions. If you read through scripture, you discover that there are several times where God spoke to his people through a dream or a vision. Now, when we think about that, we think about a tangible dream. I go to sleep, I have this dream, and, and in it, God says something, I wake up, I had the dream, and then I do what God says. But what I am talking about more, and that, that happens but what I'm talking about more this morning is that there are times where God will place in your heart or on your mind an idea, a supernatural idea that you couldn't come up with on your own. And, and watch this, this is very critical because how you respond to the idea that God places in your heart and in your mind, the dream or the vision that God has placed in your heart. That will be key not only to your personal success, but to your personal joy and fulfillment. How you respond to the vision that God places on your heart is is directly going to correlate to your personal joy and fulfillment. And and in fact, what I want to do is I want to begin this morning just by reading one verse to you, and uh, I want to read it to you from three different translations simply to prove to you what I'm saying is true. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Uh, the, The passage is going to be up on the screen as well. I'm going to begin reading from the old King James Version. And it says this, a very popular, very famous passage of scripture when it comes to vision. It says, where there is no vision. Now, I want to pause there for just a moment. That word that we translate as vision is the Hebrew word kazon. Not calzone, that's something you eat. Cazone. Cazone is a word that means a dream, a revelation, or a vision. And so the writer of Proverbs says this he says, Where there is lack of that, where there is a lack of a dream, a lack of a revelation, or a lack of vision, it says that the people perish. They perish. Now, the writer of Proverbs is not talking about a physical death. He's not talking about, okay, you didn't have a dream, so boom, you're going to drop over dead. He's not talking about a physical death, but what he's talking about is where there's no vision, where there's no dream, your hopes die. Where where there's no vision, your aspirations die. Where there's no vision, your emotions die. Where there's no vision, if you don't have any vision in your marriage, your marriage will die. And the truth is that there are a lot of people who are walking around in this world and they're walking around like zombies. They're the living dead because they have no vision. They're, they're, they're alive on the outside, but they're dead on the inside, you know, just kind of going through the motions. Same routine every day. Get up and do a meaningless job. Come home. Go to bed. Do it again. As I was thinking about this, again, I'm going to date myself. But anybody remember that old commercial of the guy who made the donuts? He's like, time to make the donuts. You get up every morning, you go make the donuts, and you come home like a zombie. And the next morning, get up and do it again, day after day after day, time to make the donuts. And, and this is what happens when we, when we don't have a vision, when there's a, we live a meaningless life. And the sad thing is, for those who are walking around dead like zombies, they could be alive because all that's missing is a God given dream. Something deep on the inside, something that God has shown you. I'm going to give you another translation of that same verse. This one's out of the NIV, and it says it like this. It says, where there's no revelation, remember, kazon, dream, vision, revelation. Where there is no revelation, this time it says, the people cast off restraint. In other words, where there's no vision, where there's no revelation, that is what causes people to get a case of the, you know, who cares? I mean, I might as well just do whatever I want to do because it doesn't matter anyway. And unfortunately, for a good number of people, that has become their life's mantra. They're just like, you know, whatever, que sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. And so they just kind of live life for themselves. They, they throw away all restraint and everything's fair game. Trying to find uh, satisfaction through, you know, this relationship and then that relationship and then that relationship. Trying to find satisfaction through attaining this goal or chasing that money or if I could just achieve this, only to discover that when the excitement wears off, they're still not satisfied. They're just left with that same old feeling of emptiness. Emptiness. And if that's you this morning, my prayer for you is that God might use something that I say this morning to help you believe that you really were created for something more. When you were created, you were created to have meaning and significance. It's part of your DNA. All right, one more version. This one's out of the message, which is a paraphrase, and it says it like this. I love, I love this one. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, if they have no vision. They have no revelation. If they can't see what God is doing, then they stumble all over themselves. We see this all over. We see people, just their lives are a wreck, man. They don't, know, they don't know what it is that they're supposed to do. God isn't even a part of the equation, and they just stumble all over themselves, and life is a wreck. But I love this. It says, but when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. They are most blessed. Now, this word blessed is a powerful word. Uh, This word blessed, it's it's another word that comes from the Hebrew, and it's a word that means happy in your soul. They are most blessed. They are happy in their soul. I love that. In other words, what the writer is saying is that there is soul contentment that can only be found when you catch the vision that God has for your life, and then you begin living out that vision, doing the things in life that really matter. So I have a simple goal this morning, and that is, for those of you who have never, ever allowed yourself to dream God-sized dreams, or maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online, and for whatever reason you've stopped dreaming, what I want to do is I just want to help you dream this morning. I want to help you catch a vision for your life, and so you know, as I think back over my own life, um, and I don't have to tell, have time to tell all the stories, but, but I can tell you this. The points where I'm at my best and the points where I'm at my worst both have a direct correlation to how much dreaming or vision I have. And so when I have no dreams or no vision, then, then I'm depressed, I'm not happy, life's not going well. But every time, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what's happening out here, when I'm dreaming and when I have vision, I feel better, I feel happier, and life is better. And, and here's what's so interesting. This is, this is really interesting. That word for dream and the word for vision in Hebrew They are so similar to each other that some translators didn't even know which word to put where because they're so similar to each other. It's like dreams and health are synonymous with each other. And so I want you to think about that for a moment. That that one of the things that can make you healthy emotionally in your soul, in your life, in your marriage is having a vision. And some of you are like, you know, no, my life would be better if my wife quit nagging me. That's what would make my marriage better. Or, or if my husband were more attentive to me, or, or my life would be better if my boss would quit being such a jerk, or if they actually paid me what I deserved. Well, whatever it is, what I hate to tell you this morning, and I, I hate to break the news to you, but none of that's going to make you happy. Even if all those things were true, none of those things are going to make you happy because the truth is, and we talk about this all the time, but circumstances, whatever's happening out here is not what determines happiness. Living, I mean, I've seen people who they chase this and that and that and that and that thinking it's going to make them happy, all these external circumstances. And I always tell people, you know, the, the bad thing about it is wherever you go, there you are, right? Wherever you go, there you are. It's, it's what's internal that determines your happiness, it's living out God-given dreams and visions and revelations is what makes our lives full and happy, okay? Are you, Are you with me? Are you with me? Yeah. All right. This is so important. Psalm 126, verse 1 says it like this. It says, when the Lord, and I want you to watch this, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, Zion, that's the people of God, that's the church, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, it says, we were like those who dreamed. In in other words, what it means to be restored is to have the ability to catch hold of and live out a God-given dream in our lives. I mean, it was like we were dreaming. It was like we were living the dream. That's what being restored was like. I, I like to say it like this, to live out a dream is simply to live out who we were created to be. That's what really living the dream out is, and that's what it means to be restored. When I'm restored, what it means is I'm restored to the person that God created me to be in the beginning. That's what it means to be restored, simply living out God's dream and design for my life. And then I want you to watch the result of this. It says, when we were restored, we were like someone who was dreaming. And then it says, and our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. Listen, folks, this is the place that God wants us to live. This is where we were created to live. This is what he wants us to experience. The joy of living out who he created us to be. Understanding the vision that he has for our lives and living out what brings, living that out is what brings real joy that is lasting and permanent. Okay? So here's the deal. When it comes to vision, we're going to talk about vision. When it comes to vision, there are actually five types of people. Five different types of people. Five. There, there are five different types of people here this morning. Five different types of people walking or watching online. Wh- whenever you meet somebody, they're going to be one of these five different types of people. When it comes to vision, the first type of person is the person who has no dream. Okay, they, they just don't have a dream. You know, you, you don't have one. You don't, you don't have a vision for your life. Just kind of just kind of meander through life and just kind of go with the flow. There's no vision. There's no dream. And listen, I'm not trying to be ugly. And those of you who know me, you know I'm not like the confrontational preacher type person or anything like that. So I'm not trying to be ugly. But, but chances are, if you don't have a dream inside of you, you may not have much faith inside of you. Because no dream really equals no faith. No dream equals no faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is very clear about this. It says faith. When you have faith, It is the substance of things hoped for. It's the things that haven't been realized yet, but you're hoping for it. It's a dream. That's what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so if you have faith, here's the bottom line. If you have faith, God is going to drop some dreams deep down in your heart. That is a byproduct of faith. In fact, in the, in the book of Acts, when the early church began to establish themselves, one of the first things that happened in Acts chapter 2 was the fulfillment of a prophecy that came from Joel chapter 2, verse 28. That prophecy began to be fulfilled. What does Joel chapter 2, verse 28 says? It says, and this is God speaking, he says, when my spirit gets poured out on you, guess what's going to happen? You're going to dream dreams and you're going to have visions. That, that's what happens when my spirit is poured out upon you. This is what the church was created to do. This is what you and I were created to experience. We were created to dream big, God-sized dreams. I, I love, I think it was Jim Collins that had the book. Was it uh, Behag? Big, Hairy, Audacious Goals? Uh, Behad? how about that? Big, Hairy, Audacious Dreams. That that's what we are we are created to, to do and to live out. We were created to have visions that are bigger than anything we could accomplish on our own. You see, God is a big God and He can do big things. We're the ones that limit God. And so this is what we do. When, when we're connected with the living God, what we do is we dream big dreams. And the truth is, for some here this morning, maybe the first step that you need to take in order to capture or recapture a vision or a dream, the first step you need to take is simply establish or reestablish a close relationship with the dream giver. Maybe the whole reason you haven't had any dreams is because you haven't been intentional about your relationship with the giver of dreams. I mean, I mean, come on, it's hard to hear from somebody you don't spend any time with. Come on. Jeremiah chapter 33 says this, and this is God speaking. It says, "Call to me, and I will answer you. What a great promise. Call to me and I will answer you. And then look what He says. He says, "When I answer you, I will show you great, and mighty things which you do not know i'm gonna give you some dreams i'm gonna i'm gonna reveal some bits vi- give you some revelation i'm gonna i'm gonna give you some vision in, in other words if, if you take the time to create the space and spend time with me god says i'm gonna show you stuff that you couldn't know on your own I'm going to put some dreams in your heart. I'm going to give you some vision. You see, God is just dying to get, uh, for us to get close to him in prayer so he can speak some dreams into us, things that are way bigger and way greater than anything we could think of or imagine. But listen, the only way that can happen is, we, is when we intentionally commit to spending time In his presence it doesn't just happen by accident it's a result of time in his presence and and listen time in his presence not just talking to God but time in his presence listening to God we can't let the conversation just go one direction you see I'm, I'm convinced that even for those of us who do pray way too often when we pray Our prayers pretty much consist of of, us informing God of all the problems that are in the world and then us telling him how he ought to fix them, right? God, here's what's wrong with the world, and here's how you ought to fix what's wrong with the world, just in case you didn't know. The, The more that I learn about prayer, and I'm still learning. In fact, there's more that I don't know than I do know. I'm still learning But the more that I learn about prayer, the more I'm convinced that prayer is way more about creating space for God to speak to me than me to speak to him. You know, don't get me wrong. I mean, we need to share with God what's on our hearts. We need to do that. And scripture tells us we ought to do that, but we need more than that. (laughs) What we need more than that is we need to hear from him. In fact, I think that the same is true in prayer as, is, as uh, is true in every other relationship. And, and, and you know, there's a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? You've heard that before. And I think that, that principle is true in prayer as well. So when we pray, first of all, pray, and then don't take, forget to take time to listen. Th- this is why it's so important to combine your prayer time with reading the word time. You know, oftentimes when when I pray, I pray, God, I'm about to open up your word and I really need to hear from you. Would you speak to my heart today? Would you tell me what I need to know? Would you reveal your truth to me today? Would you just teach me today? And then as I read, I listen. And so it's important that we combine our prayer time with reading the word time. And so the first category of people are those with no dream. And then the, the second is the type of person who has a dream The only problem is they have the wrong dream, that they have a dream, but it's the wrong dream. And when I say the wrong dream, I'm not necessarily talking about a bad dream. I'm not talking necessarily about even a sinful dream. It may actually be a good dream. It's just not a God dream there are some of us here this morning and, and, and we have dreams we're not in the no dream camp we have dreams the only problem is every single one of our dreams all revolve around earthly pursuits and none of them are connected to eternity now, now listen to me on this it's not that God minds you pursuing personal goals I mean I don't know how many of you have one of these but I got my own bucket list you know what a bucket list is right it's the list that you make of things you want to do before you kick the bucket. And, and so I've got, I've got my own personal goals. I've got a bucket list. Uh, there are things that I want to do personally before I die. You know, someday before I die, I'd love to go uh, and take Laura on an Alaskan cruise. I'd love to do that. That's on my bucket list. And, and someday I'd love to go on a deep sea fishing trip. Those are some goals of mine. I have a whole list of them. And, and I don't believe for one second that God is anti those kind of dreams. But, but you have to hear this. God has so much more for you than that. Paul says, and I love this, Paul says that God is the God of immeasurably more. I love that title for God. He's the God of immeasurably more than anything you can think of or imagine. And so I'm telling you, dream your best dreams. Go ahead and dream your best dreams. But your dreams that you dream, even the best ones, they are still, they still fall far short of the dreams that God has for your life because He is the God of immeasurably more than anything you can think of or imagine. And and I'm telling you, there's nothing like experiencing a God-sized dream in your life. There's nothing like living out a God-sized dream. There's nothing like the joy of knowing that you're a part of something great that God is doing here on earth that has an eternal consequence, an eternal impact. Paul says this in Acts chapter 20. He says, however, talking about his own life, he says, however, I, I consider my life worth nothing to me. He's talked about all the accomplishments he's had, all the things that he's done. And he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. One version says, I consider it all to be rubbish, trash. If only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me. Paul says, all this other stuff that I've done that's been so great, I consider that nothing compared to the dream that God has placed in my heart and the way that he's using me to fulfill that dream. Paul literally says, that's the greatest joy in my life. It's doing what God has asked me to do. And I'm telling you, on my list, there's all kinds of travel on there. I love to travel. And that's always been, you know, the the things on my bucket list. I've always wanted to go to, one of the things on my list was I always wanted to go to Alaska and go fishing for king salmon and halibut. And a few years ago, thanks to my father-in-law, that dream came true. A couple of years ago, he, he flew me into this uh, remote fishing resort in Alaska, and for a week straight, we did nothing but fish and eat. It was like heaven. And, and, and I, caught, I caught salmon, I caught halibut, I caught more halibut than you, I caught a hundred pound halibut. It took me like 25 minutes to get this fish in the boat, but, but listen, as awesome as that trip was, it was nothing compared to the trip I took a few years ago to Sierra Leone, Africa. And and let me tell you, uh, Sierra Leone was never on my bucket list, okay? I never sat down and said, okay, I'm going to put on my bucket list. What I really want to do is I want to go into a war zone during a war when I got two small kids at home, and and I'm not sure if I'm going to come back or not. But but I'll never forget, one day I, I picked up a Kansas City Star newspaper. I mean, Africa was not on my radar at all. And, and I picked up this Kansas City Star newspaper, and there on the front page with this article about all the atrocities that were taking place at the time in Sierra Leone. And, and, and at the time, this country was involved in a brutal civil war, and people were being tortured and murdered by the thousands, and hundreds of thousands more people were being displaced with no place to live, and no food to eat, and no clean water to drink, and, and no hope. And I read this article, and very clearly I heard God speak to me and said, I want you to go there. I looked around to make sure he wasn't talking to somebody else. You know, God, God told me, he said, I want you to go there, and through a, a series of events that I don't have time to get into, I wound up going multiple times. The first time we went, I, I led medical teams in, and I didn't do the medical stuff, but we, we led medical teams in. We had doctors and surgeons and nurses, and there were just hundreds of people who had had arms cut off with machetes and legs cut off and ears cut off and had been burned severely and just terrible, terrible things, and these medical teams, we set up mash tents, kind of triage tents and they did surgeries right out there in the middle of the jungle and then that led to leading in evangelism teams and in fact I led in one team and I got to preach a series of crusades to tens of thousands of people there was one village that we went into and there hadn't been any white people there in over 15 years and everybody had cleared out, and so we came in, and there were over 10,000 people that showed up. And when the invitation was given to receive Christ, it was, I'd never seen anything like it before in my life. There were thousands of people that literally ran forward to receive the Jesus we were talking about. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. So much better than catching a 100-pound halibut that I'd always dreamt about. I'm telling you, there's nothing like getting caught up in a God dream, knowing that you're actually being used to impact somebody's life for eternity. And there's no greater feeling than knowing, I know that someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to meet somebody from Sierra Leone. And they're going to come up to me and they're going to say, I'm here because you received a dream from God and you came. Come on, what could be better than that? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, that's great, Doug, but you know, how do I get to that place? How do I get to a place where I have God dreams? Listen, I, I don't know how to say it other than to just say, surrender your life to Jesus. And then walk in that state of surrender day by day, moment by moment. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's one thing, it's one thing when we give God our sin, but it's a whole other thing to surrender our life to him. It's one thing to to give him my sin, to say, God, here, I want you to take my sin, forgive me of my sin so I can go to heaven someday when I die. But it's a whole other thing to say, God, I want you to have all of me. I want you to have all that I am. I want you to have all my stuff. You can have my job, my money, my family, my relationships. You can have my pride, my, relate, my uh, reputation. You can have my talents, my passions, my dreams. God, everything. I want you to have it all. And then, God, now that you have all of me, use me. I mean, use me. Use, use all the stuff that you've given to me. Now, use my talents. Use my house. Use my position. Use my abilities. Use whatever financial resources you've given to me. Use it all, God, because I want to leverage everything that I have for eternal purposes. We surrender all that we are to God, and then we just do that daily. We, we surrender to God and to his purposes. I'm telling you, this is the healthiest way to live. I remember when I was growing up, um, honestly, I, I, never, I never thought that much of myself. What I mean by that is I, I never held a very high view of myself. In fact, and, I, and I'm, I'm just being honest with you, I, I sometimes still battle with feelings of inferiority, but, but when I was growing up, I remember I, because of all that, I, I, I only gave myself permission to dream certain dreams, you know, dreams that I knew I could accomplish. Mary Jo, you're always here for me, thank you, and I love you. But I, I, I only dreamed, I only gave myself permission to dream dreams that I knew that I could accomplish. Because um, I was afraid that if I dreamed too big of a dream, and then I failed, that it would only reinforce what I already knew, and that was that I wasn't good enough. And, and so for years, you know, I always dreamt the wrong dreams. They were just small, tiny, little dug dreams, that I knew that I could pull off. And, um, you know, I had invited Jesus to be the forgiver of my sins. But if the truth were to be known, I hadn't given him permission to be the leader of my life. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't surrendered all that I was to him. And I don't have time to go into all the details. But I remember one day, I remember this distinctly lying on my face in, an, in my office floor, on my office floor in our house in Spring Hill, Kansas just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, and finally being like, okay, God, you can have it all. I, I, I'm going give, to give you everything. You can have my life. You can have these puny little dreams that I've been dreaming. You can have my career. You can have my marriage. You can have my family. You can have it all. God, everything that I've got belongs to you. And that's when I heard the call of God. I was in my mid-30s, and I was a general manager of a multi-million dollar facility management company, and I was miserable. But that's when I was reminded that one of God's dreams for me was to preach. And I'm telling you, you know, you've you got to make sure that the dream that you're living out is not just something that is just for you. Oh, sure, it's fine to have some of those dreams, but, but, but they can't all be just for you. Someone once said that the greatest tragedy in life would be to get to the end of your life, having climbed all the way to the top of the ladder of success, only to discover that the ladder was leaned against the wrong wall. And you spent all of your time and all of your energy attaining all of these things, only to discover that they were the wrong things. Well, there's a third type of person when it comes to dreams, and that is, you know, you have a dream, not the wrong dream. It's a a good dream. In fact, it's a God dream, but it's a dream that has gone stale. It's a a stale dream, and I believe there's somebody here this morning, and maybe somebody who's watching online, and at one point, God gave you a big dream, (laughs) At one point, this dream, it burned within you and you were all fired up about it, but either through a delay or some set of problems that you didn't plan on, now you've pretty much let that dream die out. And, And who knows, maybe that's why God brought you to Connecting Point this morning. Maybe that's why you've logged in and you're sitting in front of your computer today, simply because God wants to just blow on your dream and say, it's still there. He he, he just wants to blow on that dream and say, come on, there's still a spark there. There's still life there. Let's let it burn again. This is the prayer that Paul prayed for the people that he was ministering to. He said, I want to remind you, this is my job. I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is on you. That's what I'm trying to do this morning. I just want to blow on somebody today and say, don't give up on the God dream." If God placed it there, he'll do it. I remember when, when, when I was called to ministry, I would, said I was in my mid-30s. didn't happen until I was in my 40s. I mean, I thought it was going to happen like that. I, I thought that, uh, you know, I got the call, man, it's going to happen like that. What I didn't understand was there are some things that he still wanted to do in me. That, that He wanted to continue to prepare me. He wanted to teach me. He wanted to get some stuff out of me. He wanted to put some stuff in me. And so this this dream, you know, some of you have let that dream go, and it's time to get the dream back. Even though it's been a long time, even though you've been through some circumstances that have delayed it, God still will do what he said he will do in your life if you'll let him do it. God's timing is always perfect. And he's not always on our time schedule. You know, he's got his own time schedule. So there's a passage of Scripture that says that what... uh, A thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. This isn't my sermon, but you know, I like jokes. So, this is a freebie, by the way. So, there was a guy who was talking to God, and he said, God, I I know that that the Bible says that a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day to you. And so, I was wondering, you know, what's a thousand dollars like? And God said, well, $1,000 is like a penny. And the guy said, okay, God, uh, could I have a penny? And God said, sure, I'll give it to you tomorrow. <laughs> Some of you will get that on the way home. All right, there's a fourth type of person. And, and that is a person where you have a dream, and it is a God dream, but it's a vague dream. You have a dream, but you haven't spent the time on the dream that is needed in order to articulate the dream, to flesh it out, to, to dream it more thoroughly. Now, i got to be honest that this is the one that I've been convicted on that I need to work on right now. I've been working on this. In fact, I'm trying to do what it says in Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk 2.2 two says this. It says, write down clearly on tablets what I have revealed to you so that you can read it at a glance and again this is the one that I've been convicted to work on because what I've discovered is is that you can have a dream God can give you a dream but if you don't write it down you're not going to be able to to read it back right that makes sense and if you don't read it back every once in a while you're either going to forget it or you're not going to be able to develop the steps in order to move it from a dream to an action and, and the result is that then it'll become a stale dream, and this is so important. Listen to me on this: vague dreams, even though they may be God dreams, vague dreams don't benefit anybody. So write it down. If God gives you a dream, write it down. Begin to develop it. Begin to pray, okay, God, this is the dream that you've given to me, so what do you want me to do next? How do I begin to walk in this dream that you've laid out for me? What are the steps that I need to take in order to begin to develop this dream that you placed in my heart? Write it down. Then begin to give it back to God and allow him to help you develop what it's going to look like. Okay, so we've got no dream wrong dream, stale dream, vague dream. And then there's this last one, and this is the best one of all. It, 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 it's a God dream. <laughs> and again, this is the kind of dream that we want, that we want a God dream. I mean, good dreams are good, but God dreams are gooder, right? I know that's bad. that's bad grammar, but it's true. Good dreams are good, but God dreams are gooder. So how do you know that it's a God dream and not just a good dream? Let me me just give you a few ideas. First of all, in order to be a God dream, it's always going to be God-breathed. God dreams are always God-breathed. In other words, it's not something that I would come up with on my own. Again, like I said, I, I would have never come up on my own to head to Sierra Leone, into a war zone when I've got two small kids at home. I wouldn't have come up with that on my own. I'd never have the audacity to think that I could lead a church on my own. I'd have never come up with the idea of establishing transitional housing for those being released from prison on my own. That's one of my dreams that I've got written down. I wouldn't have come up with that on my own. Too big for me. You see, God dreams are God-breathed. They're his idea. He just shares them with us. Secondly, not only will a God dream always be God-breathed, the God dream will always be God-honoring. In other words, a God dream does more than just make you feel good or make you say, look at me, I got to live out my dream of fishing in Alaska. That's fine and dandy, and I still have those things on my bucket list, but but me fishing in Alaska isn't going to make the world a better place, and it's not going to change anybody's eternal destiny. But I'm telling you, a God dream will. A God dream is always God honoring. And then lastly, it's not only going to be God breathed and God honoring, but a God dream is always going to be, oh, this is the tough one, God sized. God dreams are always God sized. In other words, God dreams always seem impossible. God dreams will always be something that seems like they're destined to fail unless God steps in. God, God dreams ought to be so big, this is reality, God dreams ought to be so big that they scare the pants off of you. That, that's how you know it's a God dream, when, 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 it, when it's so big, when it's God-honoring, when it's God-breathed, God those are God dreams. Okay, we got to wrap it up. I want to tell one more story, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be done. This... this This story is found in Mark chapter 8, and uh, it'll it'll be up on the screen. I want to read it to you. It says that they came to Bethsaida. Jesus and his disciples, they they came to Bethsaida, and there were some people there that brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged Jesus to touch him. I want to pause here for just a moment. I think that it's interesting that these people did what we talked about earlier. They brought their friend to Jesus with a problem he couldn't see. And then they told Jesus how to fix the problem. They said, just touch him, Jesus. This is the problem. Here's how you fix it. That's how we pray most of the time, right? And what's interesting is, is that Jesus doesn't do what they told him to do. Jesus doesn't touch him. Instead, it says that he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Now, by the way, sometimes in order... To get from God what you need to get from God, in order to hear from God what you need to hear from God, sometimes you got to change the environment that you're currently in. Sometimes if you want to hear from God, if you're not hearing from God, sometimes maybe you've got too many competing voices. Sometimes you know, you, you may need to get yourself to a quiet place. Sometimes you may need to turn the computer screen off or take a break from social media or turn the TV off. Sometimes you may need to separate yourself from your friends for a while, especially if you've got a bunch of if you're surrounded by non-Christian friends who are are, are kind of feeding into you a, a, a different type of worldview. Sometimes you got to get in a different environment, and, and then it says, this is kind of funny to me, Jesus, he, he took the blind man, led him outside the village, and it says that, that when he spit in the man's eye, I think this is funny. I, I think, you know, Scripture is sometimes funny because the friends told Jesus to touch him. They said, hey, Jesus, we know how this works. Just do the hand thing, and Jesus says, Now nah, I'm going to do the spit thing. They're like, the spit thing? We've never seen the spit thing before. We know the hand thing. You touch him, he gets healed. Do the hand thing. Jesus says, now I'm going to do the spit thing. (laughs) And and, and it's kind of funny, but I'm telling you, there's a lesson here for us. I think think the lesson for them and for us is that we can't force Jesus into a system or a certain way of doing things. I think the lesson is, and I think what Jesus is trying to teach them and us, is, is what he's really trying to teach them is a lesson on lordship. He's saying, listen, you don't create the rules for how I work in your life. This is part of a lordship thing. He, he says, are you, are you trying to get me to submit to you so you get what you want? Are you interested in submitting to me so I can do in you what I want to do? Even when it doesn't make sense. This is a lordship thing. He, he, he's, saying, he's saying to them, listen, is it about your dreams or is it about my dreams? He goes on. After Jesus spits in the the guy's eyes, it says, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? The guy looked up and he said, I see people. And they look like trees walking around. Now I've got a question for you. If the guy's blind, how did he know what a tree looked like? If he couldn't see, how did he know what a tree looks like? The only explanation that I can come up with is that one time he had the ability to see. But for some reason, now he can't see because he knew what trees looked like. He said, I see people, but they look like trees. And then we get to the two words that I wanted you to hear today. This is the landing spot today. The next two words he says once more. Jesus says, once more. Okay, so Jesus, think about this. Jesus, who has the ability to heal perfectly, I mean, he could have done it the first time. Jesus, who has the ability to heal perfectly, he touches the guy a second time, and all of a sudden, with the second touch, his vision is completely restored. The, the first touch... He sees things, but not clearly. The second touch, all of a sudden he sees things clearly. He, I'm going back. See, see, there's a first touch when we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want to give you my sins because I want to live my life. I, I want to have eternity. I want to go to heaven. And then there's a second touch where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon us and things get a little more clear. Oh, what you really wanted was not just my sins, what you really wanted was me. (laughs) Come on. And so Jesus touches him the second time and I think these words once more are some of the most consequential words in the story because what God is saying here is he's saying, listen, I am willing even though you once could see a little bit, I am willing to touch you one more time. I am willing to give you a once more kind of experience. If you had vision and you lost your vision, Jesus is saying, I'm willing to give it back to you once more. And for some of us who have been in the church for a long time, and if the truth were to be known, our church experience has just kind of grown stale, what I want to remind you of this morning is that God is a once more kind of God. I'm telling you, there's someone right here in this room, and maybe somebody who's by themselves in front of a computer screen right now, and what you need to know this morning is that God has a once more kind of touch for your life right now. It says, and once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and watch what happens. It says, and his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Father, that's my prayer for us this morning. My my prayer for us as a church, because I, I believe that in order for this church to be all that you've created, this church to be every single one of us, Lord, we need to be able to see things clearly. We need a touch from you. We need a once more touch from you. And so God, this morning, I pray that you'd help us wherever we are to get beyond just our personal pursuits and get beyond just our personal agenda that many of us are discovering is leading to emptiness and dissatisfaction. And God, would you help us this morning to once again see what you have for us clearly? And Father, this morning... I believe that there are some here this morning, and what they really need is to take that first step. Maybe you're here this morning, and and if you're really honest, you might say, Doug, if the truth were to be known, I've never really surrendered my life to Jesus. I've never asked Jesus to, to forgive me of my sins, and I've never invited him to be the Lord of my life. And so if that's you this morning, here's what I want to do with every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to just invite you to pray this prayer in the quietness of your heart, to just to just pray this with me. Pray, pray Jesus, I need you in my life. Jesus, I, I need you. Would you... Would you please forgive me of my sin? Would you come inside and would you change my life? And would you begin to remake me into what you created me to be in the beginning? Would you put some, some of your dreams in my heart? I've, I've had my own dreams. But what I really need is some of your dreams for me. And so would you come inside and would you begin to change me and would you begin to make me more like you? It says in your word that whoever believes in you shall be saved. And so today I confess, I believe. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you're the baby that came 2,000 years ago. I believe you're the one that was born in a manger. I believe that you're the savior of the world that died on the cross from my sin. And I believe that you're the one who three days later rose from the grave, conquering death and hell and sin forever. And so today, I put my faith in you. And it's in your name I pray all these things. Amen. And amen.
1: Would you, uh, at this time, take your Connect cards? And if there's been a time that um, the Lord has spoken to you this morning, grab that. And there's a spot on the back. You can share that with your pastoral staff, and we'll be praying for you. If you'd like to um, speak to any of us individually about that after the service, we'll be more than happy to do that as well. Just want to confirm and affirm with you what God is doing in your life and and partner with you in that. So um, take the buckets at the end of each of the rows uh, that you'll find under the seats there. You can uh, collect your Connect cards in there and then just pass it down. And as we go from here this morning, we want to invite you to stand and we'll sing this song together acknowledging uh, God's vision and providence in our lives. I give you glory for all you've brought me through, and now I'm ready for whatever you want to do.